Attention friends, the episode you're about to hear was created prior to the enactment of the Well-Ordered Society Act. It is maintained here as a record, an archive, and a legacy of the wandering aimlessness that preceded our current predicament. It represents one step of many on the evolutionary journey from inherited defaults to holy, blessed, righteous surrender in the service of play. Enjoy. appreciate those who tune in regularly for whatever it it's worth i do see the uh weekly statistics of who listens or at least how many there are it doesn't show me who that'd be a little creepy but it's encouraging uh it's it's helped me to feel like i'm not just shouting into the void although i'll i'll add i guess as a caveat that this is me just shouting into the void uh there's not really uh well that's not true Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, welcome to another another week, uh, another Thursday. Um, today, I kind of wanted to talk about. I don't have a fancy intro today. We're just we're, we're just starting with the the podcast music today. Um, so, and a big part of that is because I've been playing like a shit ton of Hogwarts Legacy that just came out. Well, it's not out technically yet, I guess officially. Um, there's two versions of the game. Actually, I think there's three. There's just the regular version, there's the deluxe version, and then there's like the collector's edition version. I, apparently, the collector's edition is like $250, which is crazy. Uh, at least according to the article I read on the matter. However, between the regular version and the deluxe edition, which is only a $10 difference, the regular version is $59.99 and the deluxe edition is $69.99. So you're talking 10 bucks, um, which can be a lot, right? I mean, if you're, if you're trying to save every dime, uh, as I kind of am right now, then you, you know, $10 is nothing to, to shake a stick at. $10 is a meal. Um, but uh, if you get the deluxe edition, you can play it early. So 72 hours of early access if you have the deluxe edition. So uh, I wasn't going to play it. I've been hearing a lot about it. A lot of people I watch were talking about it. Uh, and my relationship to role-playing games, single-player games, um, you know, I have played them in the past. So when I was a kid, I did it all the time. Um, starting when, way, way back when I was a wee, wee lad, uh, I had a Sega Genesis. We, I should say we had, a, we had a family Sega Genesis. I don't actually know the origin story of the Sega Genesis. I know the... Sega Genesis is older than me, was older than me, 
uh, I was born in 1992. The Sega Genesis, I think, was owned by, I think, my dad prior to 1992. So let me make sure that chronologically even makes sense. Was the Sega Genesis like a thing before I was born? Am I misremembering? Am I misremembering? Yeah, it came out in 1988. Holy shit. Wow. Anyway, um, so I had a Sega Genesis. I used to play Sonic. I think uh, the first memory I have of playing a video game was Sonic, the Sonic series. Uh, like, I actually don't know that there was any modifier. I think it was just Sonic. There's like Sonic 1, Sonic 2, Sonic 3 on the Sega Genesis. I played them all. Um, and then I switched from that into playing, and that obviously is like a single-player game, I think. I don't think there's any multiplayer aspect to that. Maybe, uh, maybe you could have someone playing with you, and they could play Tails. I don't... Hmm, maybe that was a thing. And then uh, after my love of Sonic sort of waned, after I beat them, I didn't, my love for Sonic never waned, I should say. After I beat those games, then we had uh, Streets of Rage, which is like a... I guess, I don't even know if there's like a term for it. I guess it could be a uh, scrolling fighter. Is that what you'd call that? Um, according to Wikipedia, it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up video game. I'm going to call that a scrolling fighter. That's a much more succinct way of saying that. Uh, played that, beat the first Streets of Rage, and then I, somewhere between Streets of Rage 2 and Streets of Rage 3, the Sega Genesis died. So I had to have been, hmm, I was probably nine, I want to say. This all occurred in like the first house we lived in. Uh, and it was very sad. I remember crying. Well, I, I cried a lot. I'm a crier. When I was a kid, uh, when I first beat Streets of Rage, the ending music was so beautiful that I kind of cried. I was like, wow, this is beautiful. Also, it was like stressful to beat, at least for like a, I think it was nine. Yeah, eight or nine-year-old. Uh, and then Sega Genesis dies. This is like, hmm, probably the year 2000-ish, 2001 maybe, early 2001. And uh, then it, so it dies. I cry, I go to my mom. I'm like, it doesn't work. We have to make it work. Like my, my life right now as a child, as a nine, 10-year-old is... I need this to happen. So we try to go, we, I think we went to GameStop. We want to go get it fixed and we can't get it fixed. I think they're just like the port. I don't know what happened. It was like the parts don't, aren't made or they don't make this anymore. Remember the second Genesis again, it's older than me. Uh, I was born in 92. I think the second, so I, I don't, I don't think I looked it up. Second Genesis came out in 1998, 1988. So this is like the year 2000, 2001. That's, I don't know. 12 years or something. So, uh, and at this point, I think the Sega Dreamcast was out, maybe. I don't know when that thing came out. Um, but anyway, we, we couldn't get it fixed at GameStop. I actually don't even know if GameStop does console repair. So it's entirely possible that it was just like, we don't do that here. We tried to find another Sega Genesis. And like, huge shout out to my mom. Uh, I do remember us going all over the place looking for this. And it's not like, you know, we were not rich. So it's also, you know, it would have been quite an expense probably to get another one. But, you know, again, as a kid, I'm just like, this is my life, <laughs> you know? Uh, it's what brings me joy in my, my childhood. It's like I have early, early childhood memories. Uh, and it's at this particular house. Again, it was the first house we lived in. 
uh, Saturday morning cartoons. I used to watch the shit out of some Digimon. Uh, Digimon, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh. Those were like the Saturday morning cartoons. Um, I, I didn't realize at the time that um, late at night when I would be watching TV and like I'd fall asleep with the TV on, uh, I remember distinctly Ghost in the Shell theme song. So the season one standalone complex Ghost in the Shell theme song, Inner Universe by Auriga. I remember that from my childhood, but only because it's like I'd be up that late and it would come on on Adult Swim, I think. And I remember it would come on while I was like falling asleep. And it just has such a distinct melody. And I never, I, re, I don't think I rediscovered Ghost in the Shell until I was in college. Um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't watch it. You know, I was like, this is the thing that's on while I'm falling asleep. And I don't know that I, I probably couldn't have appreciated it at, I don't know, 10 years old, nine years old. Um, but I remember when I was, when I got to college and I was like into anime, because I also wasn't like into anime as a kid. Not, not, not that I would have thought of, right? Like as a little child, the reason I'm watching Saturday morning cartoons is because it's Saturday and it's the morning and I'm watching whatever's on the TV. So at the time, you know, again, that was Yu-Gi-Oh, that was Digimon, that was uh, occasionally SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, what else? Jimmy Neutron, right? Some, you know, like the Nickelodeon, the Nickelodeon stuff, the, uh, what, and then just whatever was on the regular channels. Um, so I wouldn't say that I was like in anime then. That didn't really happen. That didn't really start to happen, I would say, until like middle school. Anyway, I, I point out that the, me- the memory of the Ghost in the Shell uh, theme song just because it's like later in college when i was really in anime i wanted to watch i was like you know i was constantly looking for new anime to watch um and i remember thinking like well what was that anime when i was a kid because i remember like the song the theme song being really cool it took me forever by the way to try to figure out from just like the melody i remembered like the da, 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 da. like it took me forever to take that and get to the anime but i did eventually and i watched it and ghost in the shell to this day is definitely top three favorite anime for me um uh, my namesake uh, as, a, as a content creator or as, a, as an expressive artistic person is Laughing Man, uh, precisely because of the Laughing Man in that standalone complex first uh, gig, which is the first season of that. So, so we go all over the place. My mom, great, great, wonderful human. And she, you know, she's bringing me around. We can't get another Sega Genesis. So I'm like devastated. Um, I, I, it's crazy how you remember like your childhood emotions, but I remember being devastated about this and uh, you know, getting huge shout out to my mom. She saw this devastation. She knew how happy I was to beat these games. Every time I would beat a game, I would like run and tell her, I'm like, Oh my God, I beat Sonic. Oh my God. I beat streets of streets of rage. Um, and you know, as any good parent, she was like, she would celebrate that with me. Um, so then she's like, okay, well we can't get you. We see, it seems we cannot find a Sega Genesis console. So what we're going to do instead is get you a new console, something different. And of course, I'm like, is the something different going to work with my games? And it's like, no, probably not. So I was like, well, I don't want that. I want a Sega Genesis. But uh, like the options were, I think it was like at the time, it was like the Xbox, the first Xbox, um, and the PlayStation 2, were like the only real options. Because I, I never played... Not because I didn't like them. It's just I never had any exposure really to like Nintendo video games as a kid. My cousins had a Super NES and a Nintendo 64. So if, I, if any time we went over to their house, they had the Nintendo stuff. Um, and then like we had the Sega stuff. And so she, again, in her, her awesomeness was like, we can't seem to find a Sega Genesis. Let's get you a PS2 or an Xbox. You get to pick. Um, and I don't know why I ended up going with the PS2. Um, it might have been easier to find, maybe. No, 
I think I like looked at the games that were. I don't know because it's not like there was there was an internet really that I had access to. Maybe it was a coin. I don't know. It wasn't a coin flip, but <laughs> somehow we ended up. Oh, you know what it was? We were in games. I remember now. I, I, now I remember. We were in GameStop, and the PS2 notably is the successor to the PS1. And the GameStop guy was telling us that the PS2 can play all of the PS1 games. And so I was able to walk around the store and see PS1 games. And actually, because I think we bought the PS2 that, I want to say we bought it that, that day, that, like on this day that we were doing this adventure. And this didn't all happen on the same day. There were multiple days of going to different GameStops trying to find a Sega Genesis. Um, like Best Buy, GameStop. Um, I think like we went online maybe to look for it as well. Um, and this is, you know, again, early 2001, late 2000. So I don't think eBay is really a thing yet. Um, so the guy is like, yeah, if you get a PS2, it can play PS1 games. I remember running around the store. I, I, I do remember this. I remember going, and I, yeah, it's coming back to me. <laughs> I was going through all the games and I pulled out uh, Mega Man 8, which is a PS1 game. And again, we weren't super rich or anything. So like, I'm going to get you this PS2 and you can get one game. <laughs> And back then, you know, it's not like you had the PlayStation Network where you can like download games off the internet. Um, you had to have a CD that went into your PS2 that would play the game. <laughs> uh, and, and again, notably, the PS2 was backwards compatible with PS1. So I don't think we could even afford PS2 games, really. Um, so I, I got Mega Man 8. I was like, okay, cool, we'll, we'll do Mega Man 8. We skipped right over the PS1. I never owned a PS1, but PS2 was, was the one that we got to replace the Sega Genesis. Um, and I play the shit out of Mega Man 8. <laughs> so uh, I, I want to, I, I think I, I kind of recall it's theme song even, um, but it was fun, you know? Um, and then from there, that was kind of like my foray into PS2 games. And there were like, again, we weren't, we didn't have a ton of money, so it's not like we could just get every game. But I remember playing a, a lot of Madden because I think, I think we got like a, uh, when we got the PS2, I don't think we got it from that GameStop. I remember getting the Mega Man from the Mega Man 8 from the GameStop. I think we went to Costco to buy the PS2 because my mom was like, Costco will have a good deal. And I think Costco sold like the bundles that would come with a free game. So it's like, look, I get it. We're, you're impatient. You want to buy it now in GameStop. But if we go to Costco, it'll be cheaper and we'll get a free game. So it's like, okay, we got Mega Man 8. I got this disc I can't do shit with. Um, but we're on our way to Costco. We went to, I don't know if we went that day or it was a different day. Went to Costco. We get the PS2. It came with Madden 2000. So those were like my two games, Mega Man 8 and Madden 2000. Uh, and then, <laughs> man, it's crazy remembering this. Remembering this. And then uh, my dad really liked Pac-Man. And so, you know, again, we, when we got a console, it's not, it wasn't my console. I'm, you know, at this point, if it's 2001, I'm nine years old, you know. So, uh, oh, yeah, it had to have been. This would have been like pre-9-11. Wow. That's crazy, crazy, crazy to think about. But it's like, you know, it's not my console. It's our console, the family console. So my dad was a big fan of Pac-Man. I remember he bought this like, uh, it was like, you know, arcade game greatest hits all packed into like one disc for the PS2. And it might, it might have been a PS1 game. I actually don't remember like the, well, I do, the Pac-Man game I had, it was Pac-Man World 2. That was a PS2 game. I remember that. And then Madden 2000 was also a PS2 game. Mega Man 8 was PS1. And I think this... This like arcade game thing where basically it took great arcade games from history and it put them on a disc. So it had like Dig Dug, it had Miss Pac-Man, and those are the only two I remember. It had others, but I don't remember what the other ones were. Um, I, I remember those two because I played a lot of Dig Dug. Oh my goodness. Dig Dug is one of those games where I never would have thought that I'd get like addicted to, but as a child, I distinctly remember a, a heavy, heavy Dig Dug uh, addiction. 
I don't know if addiction is the right word, but like as a child with free time, I, I feel like as a child with a lot of free time, you just play games. You got just tons of time. You know, what else are you going to do? Go outside would be the answer, right? But we lived in a bad neighborhood at that time. So going outside was dangerous. Anyway, so that's like the PS2 saga. We're playing Madden. We're playing, uh, we're playing Pac-Man World 2. We, I think we move at this point because this is around middle school. We ended up moving to somewhere else. And um, I remember playing... Uh, that Christmas, after we moved, I remember getting a shit ton of video games. So I got Burnout. I think it was Burnout 2, maybe. I got Dragon, Z, Dragon Ball Z Budokai. Uh, we got... God, what else was there? Um, this game called Radiata Stories, maybe. And there's like... This is not all in the same year, guys. So if you're like looking up the video games and you're just like, what's the, the chronology of this doesn't make sense. That's because I'm remembering it as a single... You know, in my mind, it may as well have been a single day, but there were obviously multiple years. Like the years, be- like when we, from when I got to PS2 to when we moved was, I think, at least three years. Um, because I would have been middle school, so that would have been like 2002, 2003, and I got the PS2, I think, in early 2001, um, or maybe middle of 2001. And so, uh, Radiata stories, Dragon Ball Z, Budokai, uh, Burnout. Uh, we're just we're just playing it up with these PS2 games. Um, now. Radiata Stories. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop a bit on this one. Radiata Stories is great. Uh, I wish, I wish, and I hope deeply in my heart that it gets remade for like the PS5. Uh, I think it's one of the best RPGs ever. Um, now, I'm super biased because I was a child and it was one of the only RPGs I had. <laughs> so it could just be that I'm remembering it like that because it's what I'm familiar with. Uh, but uh, if I recall correctly, what was trippy about it Oh, I also played uh, Indigo Prophecy. So, and, and, and I, I bring up Indigo Prophecy because what's trippy about Radiata stories and also Indigo, Indigo Prophecy is the concept of this game, a game where your decisions in the game make a difference in the game. So, uh, or, or like the game's outcome. The reason that's significant is because for me as a little kid, like, I, you know, again, maybe some of this is just like me being an old man and, you know, modern technology. But think about this. If you are not, if this is, if that concept isn't so, awesome to you um because i you know the reason we're going down this like going down memory lane really is because i want to highlight the awesomeness of video games of creative people who build fantastical worlds and of mothers who buy their sons consoles when their Sega genesis dies um but before that remember i've been playing pac-man world 2 uh dig dug which was an arcade game and Sonic, which I think was maybe also an arcade game in Japan at some point, and maybe also here, but I never, I literally have never been inside of an arcade. Um, unless you count like Dave and Busters. Um, Dig Dug, Sonic, Streets of Rage, Pac Man World 2, right? Those are games where no matter how many times you play them, the outcome is the same. You go, you progress through a series of levels or like difficulties, and you get to the end or you fight a series of bosses. Even Mega Man 8 is like this, I think, right? Your progress, because you know, Mega Man Eight is based off of maybe a Game Boy game. I don't want to say that because I don't. I don't know if Mega Man started on Game Boy before it went to before this like PlayStation iteration. I don't know like the chronology of Mega Man. Um, but deter- deterministic games, where no matter how many times you play it, it's the same. And I do remember Indigo Prophecy was this game. That was like one of the games I got. Uh, was a game where it's like depending on what you did in game changed the outcome. And I thought that was trippy. That was I finished Indigo Prophecy. Uh, and then Radiata Stories was this way. There's a point in Radiata Stories where you get to pick uh, between, uh, 
I think there's like multiple races, right? There's the there's humans, dwarves, and I want to say elves, or maybe fairies, um, elves slash fairies. And at some point, you start out in this like I want to say it's like a royal academy where basically you have all the different races that are learning how to like sharpen their their skills, and you're a human child. Uh, and then you end up somehow. I think the dwarves and the elves go to war. And then maybe the humans side. I don't know what how I don't remember exactly like how the story goes down. But anyway, you get to pick sides, and it changes the outcome. And I just remember like for me getting through the game. I don't want to spoil it because I'm hoping that someday the the game is remastered and people get to play it and enjoy the story for themselves. Um, but you get to the end of it, and it's like you end up realizing, oh my god, the choices I've made along the way have changed the way this goes down. And then like something there's a plot twist basically. And I remember as a little kid just being like, oh my god, a plot twist in a game. Like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> um, so then, like, you know, let's fast forward. You know, we're playing these RPG games, games like that. I like, I like games where it's like, what I'm doing in the game is not just this deterministic thing. Don't get me wrong. With Dig Dug, uh, I played hours and hours of Dig Dug just to get better at it. And so I, there's obviously a part of me that's, like, a big fan. And that's probably true, like, now with Warzone and Smash. Um, I will definitely play a game that has, like, a skill or challenge-based aspect of it where it's like, I want to beat the challenge. I want to improve my skill. Just because it's fun to do that. I have a little tiny amount of like, I like to, you know, grind for a skill in a game. But it has to be like be rewarding and it has to feel fun, right? Um, and in Radiata Stories, well, there's not, wasn't a grind in that, but Dug Dug was fun. Dig Dug is fun. If you've never played Dig Dug, find a way to play Dig Dug. It's really fun. Um, and, you know, again, there, you, as you progress, again, it's kind of a puzzle. There's a skill element to it. Um, so, then, uh, yeah, so we, we're going down this RPG road. We play Ride Out of Stories is awesome. Indigo Prophecy, awesome. These games with, like, decisions you make along the way, the way you interact with characters in the game you build relationships with changes the outcome of the game. That's really cool. It's kind of like novel as a concept for, you know, middle school me who has, you know, for the most part been used to games where the outcome is deterministic, where no matter what you do, the game always goes the same way. Um, so yeah, that, that's like my, my games. Yeah, there's, and then there's Kingdom Hearts, right? Like, I don't, I'm not going to dwell on Kingdom Hearts. Everyone should know, hopefully, what Kingdom Hearts is. Another great game. I finished all of Kingdom Hearts 1. Uh, I think I finished Kingdom Hearts 2. And then like everybody, we had to wait fucking 20 years for Kingdom Hearts 3 to come out. And I remember, I have, I own Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, and I remember sitting down to play it. I don't know, I probably played like five hours of Kingdom Hearts 3 before I'm just like, I, it's not the same. It's not that it's not the same. I'm sure it is the same. But like, come on, I was a kid when I played, you know, or in high school when I played Kingdom Hearts 2, and now I'm 30, like, you know, and I think Kingdom Hearts 3 came out like two years ago, so I was 28, you know, it's like, I don't want to, I could do a playthrough, you know, again, of the first two games, which I, I, I started to try to do, but then I'm like, these games are long as shit, <laughs> like, I wish they would have just, like, released it back then, and I, maybe someday uh, I'll, I'll go back and I'll, I'll actually try to get through Kingdom Hearts 3, uh, maybe I'll do, like, a full playthrough of 1, 2, and 3. Um, but yeah, so that was like my, my relationship to games and to role-playing games and single-player games. I don't know that I ever really got into PvP-type games until I was an adult. Um, middle school is important for a couple of reasons. One, it's because that was when I played Radiata Stories, I think. Um, two, it's because another significant kind of development in my own life uh, occurred. Um, I, obviously, as a kid who played tons of games and watched cartoons i have a a i lean in favor of like fantasy stories first of all who the fuck doesn't lean in favor of fantasy stories if you don't then uh it's probably just because 
you haven't had exposure to good ones in the right settings where you could like enjoy them. Cause I, I think a good, st- who doesn't love a good story? Um, and, uh, in middle school, I remember, uh, I think it was in middle school anyway, when I first started to read the Harry Potter series, let's see. So Harry Potter came out in the Philosopher's Stone, which is the first book. So there's for those who don't aren't familiar with Harry Potter, there are seven books. The first book came out in 97. I didn't read the books though until after the movie. So when did the first movie come out? Cause that will help me to understand chronologically when I started to read the books. Back then I was the kind of person where I'd, I would watch a movie and then I'd be like, well, I want to know about what the book is like. Um, and so then I went and read the book. When did the movie come up? Come out? I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right now and for whatever reason, it's not at the top. Um, well, I, I should take that back. It's not at the top of the, oh, 1999 was when the rights came out. Okay, so the production ended on t- in 2001. When was it released, though? Oh, it was released in 2001. I don't know that I saw it in 2001. Hmm. Um, but anyway, at some point along the way in there, I get exposed to the Harry Potter series. I, I, didn't, read, I didn't read the books until I was in high school. So I definitely saw the movies before that, though. I saw the movies with my cousin, at least the first couple of cousins, the first few movies. Um, I'm like trying to piece together the chronology. Uh, chronology. But anyway, in middle school, um, I think I started to get exposed to the Harry Potter movies. And I, and I, and as I had friends, so I had a couple friends in middle school and in early high school where we would basically, you know, role-playing in real life was a thing we would do. Not necessarily D and D. There was this other game we would play that was a role-playing game that like is D and D esque, but not D and D. I've actually never played D and D surprisingly. Um, and I remember this point in like eighth grade where I'm with my friend and we're role-playing and we're just thinking about all these like cool, awesome ideas of the world and all these really cool, fantastical elements in the world. And I had this like fictions kind of bullshit moment. <laughs> I don't know if it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what that was. Maybe that was just like puberty hitting me all at once. Um, and, and you know, I, 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 in my mind, I'm remembering it as an all at once, all at once experience, but I'm sure it wasn't an all at once experience. I'm sure this occurred over a period of time, but I had this like awakening of like, man, fiction's kind of lame. Um, and I think like part of that coincided with, uh, taking sex ed for the maybe the first time or second time seventh grade eighth grade would have been i think the second time because i think we did technically have sex ed in like fourth grade or something like you know the baby's version of sex ed um and then in like seventh eighth grade we had like real sex ed and i remember in seventh grade we watched i can even remember the teacher i had at the time we watched the uh i don't know what's called the miracle of life or whatever but it was a child giving birth or uh, not a child giving birth it was a woman giving birth to a child excuse me and uh, let's see, that movie was ridiculous. I don't know what this, this educational movie was, but it starts out like, I think it starts out inside of the woman and you get to see the conception happen. <laughs> and then uh, probably not the same woman, right? Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then the baby gets born. And obviously a lot of, especially so when, I don't know, the school I was at, they separate the boys and the girls for sex ed. So it's all the dudes. And then, yeah, I don't know, the girls are off somewhere doing something different, presumably. And I remember just everyone's like disgusted. And personally, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, briefly, very, very briefly, I wanted to become an OBGYN after seeing this because I'm like, the, the whole process of a baby getting born is amazing. Uh, and I remember we learned about it. Um, 
I was like not as all and th- not at all as enthralled by sex, which is like whatever. Um, but babies being born is wild. It's crazy. This movie, and again, I think it was called Miracle of Life. I don't remember the exact name of it, and not I'm not going to look it up because it's not that important. Um, some kind of sex sex ed video where you get to see all the process of like from conception to to birth, and it's kind of like uh, you have a series of basically magical miracle interactions inside the woman's body that happen for a baby to get born. And I didn't end up becoming an OBGYN, so I don't know all the details uh, that I could recall them. But I remember it being like pretty complicated and complex. And I remember it was like, uh, I remember thinking as we were learning it, like, wow, it's crazy. This is how everybody got here. <laughs> you know, like this crazy complex process. And it seems and feels magical to me, right? So <laughs> this, the reason this is important is because all this coincided at the same time with like this awakening I'm having, or I'm just like, I don't know that I can like do this whole fantastical role play anymore. I don't know that I can be as into uh, fiction. Cause I used to read a lot of fiction as a kid. I would say like, I read a lot. I've always read a lot since I was a kid. I read a lot now. Um, there was like a turning point from reading fiction to reading nonfiction. And I would say that that real, I could, it's like at all kind of uh, the axes of it is this point in middle school. Right. I don't know. I just had like this awakening of like, <sighs> Fiction's bullshit, and nonfiction's kind of cool, and fantastical worlds are bullshit, and babies getting born is is not bullshit. And I remember having this thought of like, we don't really need to escape, and I, maybe I shouldn't say we. I don't really need to escape into a fantasy world because in the real fucking world, babies get born, and it's this awesome, beautiful, complex process. So I, I don't know what it is. That, I don't know the confluence of circumstances that put me in that mindset where because I like now looking back I would say that that's that's more or less just like if you were at all scientifically inclined or you were inclined to be an engineer or you're inclined to be a mathematician you know um then I, I think that fundamentally is what underlies it the same passion and the same drive and the same fascination and sense of wonder that a child has towards a series like the Harry Potter Potter series or, uh, you know, radiata stories like I had with that, and you have dwarves and elves, the same sense of magic and wonder that uh, people feel. I'd say more people probably feel that for fantastical stories than they do for science, maybe. Those folks who end up being really passionate about science and math and engineering, like myself, we have it for the real world and for the scientific world. And, and I, I do remember, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like it was such, it was so impactful to me because I remember like reading a lot about how babies are born and that whole process. And again, for like a very brief period of time, but intense and intense and brief period of time, I was like, I want to be a doctor who delivers babies because this is the coolest thing in the world. It's incredible. All of the complexities that go into a human woman giving birth to a little person that crawls out of her no, no place and then grows into a full sized human. That's fucking crazy and like the the way the body does that over the years it's just like everything about it is fascinating i didn't go into biology never became a doctor but you could say that was like one of the early starts to (laughs) my love and fascination for science and for um what i would have called back then the real world right um also at this time was around if you guys had listened to my earlier episode i think the title of the episode is hack the planet i don't know which number that was um, I kind of gave my hacker origin story in that. And uh, this is all happening at the same time because around the time that I had my hacker origin story, which is, you know, I'm, I'm discovering how to program. I'm 
I haven't yet had my hard drive taken away, but uh, you know, we're kind of on the road to that. This is all happening at the same time. So I just, I don't know. I had this point and I, and I remember it distinctly because I remember I told my friend this, uh, and I don't know if it was like a point of contention between us, but I don't know. I, I backwardsly remember it being a point of contention. I was like, I don't think I can do the role-playing thing anymore. I don't want to play the role-playing games anymore. Uh, and again, I had multiple friends actually that I would do that with. And I was just like across the board. I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, <laughs> and it was just because I'm like, the real world is so magical. Like, obviously it's fun and we could enjoy creating our own fantastical worlds in our minds, right? Where there's magic and, you know, fanciful beasts and characters. And that's awesome and cool. But there's like magic in the real world. Like, have you seen what happens when a baby gets born? <laughs> you know, like, and you start to go down that rabbit hole. At least I start to go down this like rabbit hole of learning about cool and unknown facts in the real world that to me truly are just as magical as like anything in Harry Potter or anything in, you know, the Aragon series or anything in, in um, other like fantastical stories I, I really enjoy. Um, so that was like kind of a turning point for me. And with it came, it's like I stopped doing the role playing. Um, I didn't really read as much fiction anymore. I never stopped reading fiction. I still do. Um, but it shifted to like, uh, I'm a sucker for a romance novel. Um, I really like, um, you know, that sucker for a romance novel period. I also really like, uh, like Jodi Picoult. Uh, I think she's a great author. Um, she writes some cool stories. Um, stuff focused around the so like fiction based on humans in the real world. There's less fantastical elements. Um, although, uh, I'm a huge, huge lover of the, uh, the Dresden files. That's another one of those series where it's like that shit's been going on for a while and it's not over, which I love. I love every, the fact that there are like a thousand books in the series. There's not a thousand. I'm exaggerating. There's maybe like 26, uh, the fact that there are so many books in this series and it's still good as shit is amazing. Jim Butcher is like, in my mind, like hugely underrated author, probably. Um, like we all know the Harry Potter series. Most people probably know J.K. Rowling as a name. I don't think the Dresden Files has the same name recognition and I don't think Jim Butcher has the same uh, name recognition. And I think the Dresden Files all on its own would be enough to like make him one of the greatest fiction authors ever. Uh, but he also has like other like great fiction series. I haven't read those, but again, I don't read a, I don't read a lot of fiction like that. Um, but I like, I keep track of like the Dresden files and like when a new book comes out, I'm on it. Um, but overall around that time, I stopped doing the whole fiction thing. I became less interested in fantastical stories. And also when it comes to video games, I basically stopped playing video games entirely. Uh, there was a point in high school, early, late middle school, early high school where I kind of just stopped playing video games. It's not like I didn't play them, but I couldn't do something like play through Kingdom Hearts, right? Um, that was just because it's like, I'm going to spend 40 hours in this made-up world when the real world is cool and awesome, and there's lots to do in the real world. Um, so uh, I guess the beauty of it is I took that same energy I, I had and fascination I had for these games like uh, Sonic and Dig Dog and Pac-Man World 2 and Kingdom Hearts and Radiata Stories. I took the energy that I was able to channel into that uh, into those games, into like scientific knowledge. And, and you know, I, you know, I studied math in college and computer science and technology. And arguably, I'm a, a fantastic hacker because of what I was able to do with that energy. And for a lot of reasons, that's, I guess, more practically useful than uh, just consuming fantastical stuff. Like being an, an expert on the Harry Potter universe is not necessarily uh, practically useful to you in the way that being a hacker is. Um, but it's probably just as enjoyable. It wasn't until college when I started to play video games again because, again, you're kind of in like this weird compressed environment 
uh, and I went to a military school, so you had to like, uh, I don't know, we needed escapes from that. So as a freshman, I played a lot of zombies with my roommate because he had an Xbox and he had zombies. And I was like, whatever, you've had this, let's play this. Uh, and it was fun. Grinding, on, and again, it has that same element of like skill, getting better, grinding to make it through as many successive waves of zombies as possible. Uh, and then as a junior, maybe in college, uh, I started to play Tekken. So Tekken was kind of like my re-entrance into the video game world in a, I don't want to say serious way, but in a way where like my itch to get better came back within the game. Because I played, again, I played games along the way, but I didn't care about finishing games and I didn't care about getting better at them. <laughs> um, I was just like, eh, if I have time and there's nothing else to do and, and for whatever reason I can't go somewhere, then I'm just going to play a video game. But like not seriously, you know? I'm just twiddling my thumbs, basically. Junior year of college comes along. One of my good friends, still one of my best friends. Uh, he was introduced to Tekken by someone else. And I get introduced to Tekken. And, you know, it's like that now all bets are off. I'm playing Tekken. We're trying to get better. We we're basically playing probably every weekend, maybe. If not, like, we had like a cycle, you know, uh, Tekken. And then, I don't know, we'd always do other stuff, too. But we played a lot. Of, we played a shit ton of Tekken. And then <laughs> I played Tekken until that was Tekken Tag Tournament 2. And then basically, so my friend, he stopped. He didn't play that much. He, he kind of dropped off. I think after we graduated, he kind of stopped. I didn't. I kept playing Tekken Tag Tournament 2. I played Tekken Revolution. I played Tekken 6. And I played Tekken 7. Uh, and basically was deep and not deep, but I had in my mind, like, I'm going to get better at Tekken 7. I, like, bought a, a stick. I bought a joystick. Uh, I would play with a joystick and pad uh, and not just a DualShock controller um, to try to get good. I mained Kazuya. I was pretty good. I, was, I wouldn't call myself amongst the best, but I didn't put enough time, I think, to be one of the best. But I got pretty good at it. Uh, and then, of course, my same friend, later he's like, dude, you should play Smash. Now, as a kid, a wee lad, like I said, my cousins had Nintendo consoles. I remember playing Melee, I think. I think that's the one on the Nintendo 64, right? Or is it, No, Smash 64 is the one on the Nintendo 64. I remember playing Melee. I was never good at it. Um... Because the verticality element of Smash is actually harder than it seems uh, if you're coming from another fighting game. So, um, but yeah, he's like, let's play this. this is, now this I remember specifically because it wasn't that long ago. August of 2019 uh, is when I started playing Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. And then again, Smash is one of those games where in my head, I wanna, I've, I've wanted to get better at it. Uh, over time, I, we were just looking yesterday or this, earlier this week. I've put 1,300 hours into Smash, <laughs> Smash Ultimate which is crazy. And I have multiple characters in Elite. I don't have all of my characters in Elite Smash. So Elite Smash is like uh, in Smash Ultimate's online world, they have like an online ranking system. Uh, and Elite Smash is like for the Elite, I guess. Once you cross a certain threshold in your like online rank points, you can, your characters are in Elite. And you can do it character by character. And there's like 90 characters in the Smash Ultimate cast. So uh, true to form, <laughs> I don't care about games enough to get all of them into Elite. But I have six characters i think in elite let's see steve sora pit uh sephiroth byleth a lot of dlc2 representation um i think that's it steve sora pit byleth and uh there's a fifth one what was the fifth one? Oh, sephiroth and sephiroth so i have i have five characters in elite i thought i had six there must be someone i'm forgetting there must be someone I don't normally play, and then I just like happen to get them into Elite on accident. Um, but anyway, that was like the next game where I'm just like, I want to get better at this. Uh, but again, there's no 
but both for Tekken and for Smash, it's it's bat, it's like Dig Dug. It's grind. It's grind for skill. It's not necessarily um, story based. Uh, and then, and, and again, and this, and this sort of applies broadly to games and to fiction. Like I have friends who are like, you should play this game. Skyrim is one of them, right? An example of one of these games. People, you should play Skyrim. And I'm like, I just can't because of that moment in middle school where I had the switch get flipped where I'm just like, if the world is too fantastical and it's just like, and it's all made up, there's like this block inside me where I'm just like, I just am not that interested. Like I hit a point and I think it's time. It's a combination of time commitment and story believability where I just am like, the real world is so much cooler. You know, in the real world, we have immortal jellyfish. Do you guys, you may not know this dear listener, but did you know that there are immortal jellyfish? Like humans have discovered, we discover all kinds of crazy shit in the deep sea to include a jellyfish that, as far as we know, doesn't die. And if you try to hurt it, it gets younger. <laughs> like it, 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 in series, in, in situations of stress, it actually has a reverse aging process. And as far as we, dumb monkey primate science beings know, this thing doesn't die and it's just out there in the ocean living forever. Like, how can you, for me, it's like, I just can't spend too much time in a world like Skyrim where everything is literally made up. Um, because in our own real world ocean, most of which we have not really explored, there's tons of crazy shit like immortal jellyfish. Like I would much rather learn the science I would need to learn to engage in and explore and research the deep sea than I would to, in playing something like Skyrim. Um, and that's not a knock on Skyrim. And it's not a knock on people who love that. It's just, you know, again, somewhere in middle school, this flip got, this switch got flipped. <laughs> and I'm just like, I remember the baby birthing thing from that movie, that like Miracle of Life educational movie being a big part of it. Um, I think probably because I started to discover computers around that time and like really get into like programming and whatnot, that also was a part of it. And I guess sort of thematically on point with the podcast, everything in life is about the time you spend and where you spend it. You know, um, as I have reached the ancient age of 30, I've basically concluded for myself, although I'm not dead, I have no conclusion because I'm not dead. I don't ever conclude anything because I, I'm always open to the idea that between now and my death, my mind might change. But for now, I'm at this like really, really place, this really, really uh, fixed place. I, would, I, would call, I was going to say uh, determined place, but it's, it's like a fixed place at the moment of like time is the most important thing we have. And unfortunately, like I mentioned on one of my earlier episodes, we can't double spend our time. I can't, the hour I'm spending recording this podcast and the other hour I'll spend editing it is time I, it's exclusively on that podcast. Now, with technology being what it is, like I could probably listen to music while I do some stuff. Um, I can probably go on a walk while I do some stuff. I could probably record the podcast on a walk, honestly. Um, so you have like some limited ways where within the physical world, because of the properties of whatever it is you're doing, you can like overlap activities in the same time slot. But if I spend... 35 hours, 40 hours, 50 hours in an immersive game experience. I can't spend it also studying the deep sea. Now, I'm, as I'm talking through this, I'm realizing that it's possible that a game like Skyrim or a fantasy magical game could, be, could have fantastical elements, but also include fantastical things from the real world. Now, maybe not like all the awesome complexities of childbirth, but I don't know if there were a deep sea fantasy game and it had like immortal jellyfish and like things that were all actual fixtures of the deep sea which i think would be pretty cool it'd probably make a pretty fucking awesome fantasy game if you did it right but it would also be like educational and it would also maybe inspire people to think about like the real wonders of our world around us um or like you know think about a movie like bugs life right that's another example where it's like 
to the extent that the people who wrote Bugs Life or the movie Ant were scientifically accurate in their depiction of some of the things around like this fictional ant culture they're building and, and demonstrating, maybe that's like a, a much more amenable, I guess, naturally to that. Um, but something where it's just like totally made up and totally not real and totally whatever. I, I think I like it as an inspiration because I do think that stories like that help people to be inspired to create and to invent and to build. Um, but for me specifically, I've, I've always found plenty of fascination in just like, or at least I should say always as in from the moment of this awakening in middle school, I've always found like plenty of shit to be fascinated about in the real world. Like I think I mentioned on one of the podcast episodes that I read this book called Einstein's Fridge. And a lot of the book is about scientists trying to figure out what the fuck heat is. Because there was a time when we like dumb monkey humans did not know what heat was. We thought it was a fluid. We thought heat was an invisible fluid in everything. Um, and then like <laughs> the flowing of the heat fluid, which was called caloric. So the, the word like a calorie comes from this actually. Um, the caloric fluid, which was the, the invisible heat fluid we thought made heat when it flowed over things. That was what made things hot. Right. And now we know that's not true. But <laughs> like that, th- to, that to me, this, the, 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 the process of investigation and exploration to figure out like what even is heat? Why do things get hot? That to me has like the same beauty and fun for me as running around an open world in an RPG. And because I can't do both, I guess it's like, I, I don't know, I guess I prefer to do the one where like I can and engage more of my senses. Right. Because in a video game, you can only really engage your eyes and ears, you can't engage your nose. You can't engage your full body. Um, you can't engage uh, tactile resistance with your full body, at least not yet. So there's also something, I guess, like more engaging, like literally more engaging to more of your physical body and your physical presence in the, in the, in the world in some of the like cool, fantastical things that can be discovered and done in this world. So then I'm playing Smash. Obviously, uh, well, I don't want to say obviously because I don't necessarily think there's an overlap between the podcast community, the, pe- the people who listen to the podcast and people who watch my stream. In fact, I know there's not an overlap because there are a lot more people who listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh, COVID happens. I start playing uh, Call of Duty Warzone during COVID. Uh, also continue playing Smash. And uh, for those who've never played Smash Ultimate on the Switch, its replay system is ass. Uh, there's a lot of things about it actually, like coming from the Tekken world that if you wanted to be like a competitive fighting game person, it's like, there are a lot of things about smash and the switch that are kind of ass in comparison. I think smash by itself and as a game is one of the best, most well-crafted, beautiful games ever made. Hands down. Easily one of the best smash ultimate. I'm, I'm saying easily one of the best games ever made because of the detail and the beauty of it. Um, during COVID and the replay system sucking, I remember playing with my friend, uh, he was on the uh, West Coast and I was on the East Coast. It's funny because now it's flipped. Now I'm on the West Coast and he's on the East Coast. Um, and because the replay system sucked, we couldn't watch back our replays, which is something we enjoyed doing like, from time to time. Or I should say we could, but it was a huge pain in the dick. So of course, I'm like, how can I make this better? I Google how to make the, I didn't Google it exactly like this probably. I probably Googled uh, how to record Smash games. Um, but what I was trying to find out was how to, how to be able to get Smash replays that don't suck to extract. Because with the built-in system on the Switch and then the Smash Bros, you have to like, you have to like, first of all, you have to go into like this deep sub-menu and then you have to like play the game out <laughs> while it records onto a place where you can like copy it off. And it's a huge, huge pain in the dick. 
Um, I think from that, I discovered capture cards and I got a uh, Elgato something, one of the Elgato capture cards. And then, of course, once I had it, I'm like, what do people normally use this for? And I'm like, oh, people stream using this. So then the rest was kind of history. I was like, let's, I'm going to start streaming. I started streaming on Twitch because I, and I, I streamed on, I think, Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube, which I still do. Um, and I was like, all right, I'm going to start streaming. And it, it was 100% because I, we wanted to be able to watch replays of our game. So I'm like, well, if I stream, I'll have a recording of it, and then we can go back and watch. Uh, fortunately, it was COVID. So also, because it's COVID, not much is going on in the world. Can't really go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> I started playing Call of Duty Warzone. I probably put, if I put 1,300 hours into Smash, I probably put at least 900 into Call of Duty. Um, and again, it's just getting better. It's, it's a skill thing. I sucked. I never played first-person shooters before Call of Duty Warzone, really. Again, I mentioned zombies back in, in college, but like, that's different because the zombies aren't skilled. <laughs> like, it doesn't take much to get good at zombies. It's very different to play zombies than to play Warzone. Um, so like, I, it's not that I wasn't at all experienced with first-person shooters because I did technically play Call of Duty. I don't know which zombies game. Like, I don't know which iteration of zombies it was. One of the black... It might have been Black Ops 2 zombies. Um, so, but then we get Warzone comes out. It's this battle royale. It's competitive-ish. There's a, you can be competitive about it, I should say. Um, and there's like a skill gap, so I wanted to get better. And I sucked. I'd never played FPS before. I'd never played on mouse and keyboard. And I was like, I want to learn how to play FPS on mouse and keyboard. I sucked. I, the first probably six months of playing Warzone, I sucked because I was trying to, switch, trying to learn how to play on mouse and keyboard. Uh, and I would practice. I would play the game, and then I, would, I had an aim trainer I would practice with, and I would go into like a... I'd make like a custom match and I would practice moving around because I wanted to get better. Uh, now I'd say I'm like, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay at Warzone. I'm not, I'm not one of the best. I'm not one of the worst. I'm just okay. Um, and, I'm, and, and I'm okay with that. Uh, so, that, you know, my, my current relationship with video games is very much like if it's a game that I can easily come into and easily exit without taking a hit for not knowing all of the details of the story, uh, then I'll play it. I think one of the issues with most RPGs for me these days given everything I've just said about allocating my time towards fantastical, beautiful things in the real world versus um, the, the fantasy worlds of some of the games is like an RPG, your success in an RPG is in some sense determined by your familiarity with whatever the niche, whatever characteristics of the, the RPG universe is. So as an example, I've been playing a lot of Harry Potter or sorry, Hogwarts legacy. I love this game so far. Um, I, I briefly mentioned that I was into the Harry Potter books and the movies. I watched, I have seen every Harry Potter movie multiple times. Every Harry Potter movie, with the exception of the family of Gaunt or whatever that I just learned about this week. <laughs> um, but all the other, like all the major Harry Potter films I've seen, I've read all the books. I've even read all the books in Spanish because when I was learning Spanish in, middle, in high school, I uh, made it a point to, one of the best ways to improve your skill in a language is to read. So... Uh, I wanted something easy and accessible to read. And I was like, I, the Harry Potter books are actually pretty accessible in Spanish. So I've read them in Spanish as well. Um, so I'm like very familiar with the Harry Potter lore and universe, which is why when this game came out, I'm like, okay, single player RPG. Ugh, I don't, I just don't like playing them because of the time commitment, right? Again, to be good at it and to have fun and get through it, you kind of have to be, well, you don't have to be good. You could play it easy mode and just glide through. But... I hope you've all realized by this point, like the kind of kid who plays hours and hours of Dig Dug because he wants to get better at it, doesn't play through on easy. So I have this, I guess, known quality to me that I like to play games on hard mode. I'm currently trying to play through Hogwarts Legacy on hard. I go in, never played it before, hardest setting, let's go. Because um, ain't no game going to beat me. Uh, but as, is in, as this game is a, a great example of, 
to do that well, you have to know the game. <laughs> I have to know the properties of these enemies. So like you couldn't make, you could not, I'm only, if I look at my in-game tracker, I'm only 16% through the game. 16, 1-6%. I couldn't have even gotten this far without knowing the different types of magic I can wield and which types of enemies. And the only way to know when you're fighting the enemy is a visual cue. <laughs> what type of enemy you need to use certain types of magic for because some, not all magic is effective on all kinds of enemies. That's the kind of thing where, you know, so far I've played, I don't know, probably 20 hours of this game. That's a lot. 20 hours is a lot, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, that's when I say I don't want, I don't want to play RPGs or I don't like them. It's not that I don't like them because I love every RPG I've ever played. Every like single player story game I've ever played. I've loved, I've enjoyed the shit out of it. But I just, what I don't love is that's 20 hours going into this game and it's not 20 hours going into exploring the deep sea or hacking or whatever, you know, whatever other thing that for me anyway, carries the same level of fascination and wonder. And if I have to pick where I'm going to get my sense of wonder from, it's like, I'd like, I'd like to get it from the real world personally. That's just a personal preference. You know, I don't, again, there's no knock on the folks that get it from fantasy worlds. And I still love the shit out of a fantasy world. I mean, you know, I'm a diehard Dresden Files fan. I think the Aragon series is probably the best fantasy series, actually. I mean, I've talked a lot about Harry Potter and I've talked a, lot, a little bit about Dresden Files, but I actually think the Aragon series is the best. It's definitely my favorite, <laughs> uh, mostly because it ended so well. I think it had the best ending of any fantasy series I've ever consumed. Um, Harry Potter, I would say, actually was not as good, the ending. Um, and then for the Dresden Files, it's not technically, Dresden Files is not technically over. And the way that it's going, I, it's not the kind of thing that could be over, I don't think. I think the way that Jim Butcher is writing it, this is a, a world and a universe that could go on forever. Um, and it's beautiful. I actually like that. I, I, I like, if that's where an author goes with it, I like that. However, if an author is going to finish it, <laughs> I want them to finish it well. Um, I think Jim Butcher is probably going to write the Dresden Files till he dies. Like, I don't know if that's something he said is a plan, but again, there's like a billion of these books and he, they're still going. Like, he's, we're not even like arcing towards a, a, a conclusion, really. Um, we might be arcing towards a point where he could step away and someone could pick the story up. But I don't think we're arcing towards like a conclusion of the universe because it's not something that will conclude. It's basically take the real world and add a fictional elements on top of it. And for as long as there is a real world, there could be Dresden Files books. Um, all that to say, uh, I'm really enjoying this Hogwarts le legacy game. Uh, I think Warner Brothers, I mean, so far I think Warner Brothers has done a great job in terms of lore and the Harry Potter universe and, and consistency. Um, consistency with that lore in that universe. Uh, the game is beautiful. Um, the thing that pushed me over the edge from not wanting to play it, because, you know, again, I just don't, if someone comes to me with any random, good, potentially good single player RPG, I'm just like, I'm probably not going to play it. Because <laughs> uh, the other time, what, what drove me over the edge was the combat system. I saw a video uh, earlier this week of the combat system, and I was like, hmm, that looks compelling. If it weren't, if I mean, seriously, the only thing that got me to get this game was the combat system. The combat system didn't look like something that I would see and want to get better at and have fun playing. It's a, I, I, I guess I, I didn't really point that out. When it, for me, with a game, if I'm going to play it, especially because of what I, how I see time and, and, and not really wanting to spend my time with video games, when I pick it up and I start to play it, I have to be having fun. Like, I have to feel fun when I'm, when I'm playing it. And, and a big part of that is, like, how fluid does it feel? How um, expressive does it feel? Is there like a clearly identifiable, like I could get, like there's a skill to this. I could get better. If it's RNG, nope, not interested. Um, 
if it's turn-based, also probably not interested because that's not super fluid. That's just kind of like strategy game at that point. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, I played, a, I played hours and hours and hours of Civilization as a kid. <laughs> so uh, again, one of those things where it's like, I, I've done it. I, I, I've done it and I enjoyed every moment of it. But these days, I'm not going to put that kind of time into that. Um, but uh, here I am playing this. We're about uh, 20 hours in. I, according to the internet, um, it's roughly like it's between 35 and 70 hours, depending on how much you want to go into the side quests. I've been a little side quest heavy, so if I had to guess, uh, I'll probably complete it around 50 hours, maybe. Um, that's like just me spitballing back in the napkin math. Uh, but I'm really having fun with it. Um, it's very fluid and it's fucking beautiful. It's an open world. So like, it's cool because it's an open world. You can fly on a broom through this open world. And last night I was playing and I'm like, what are the limitations on where I can fly? And when they say open world, they mean open, they mean open world. And this world's massive. Uh, that's pretty exciting to me. Uh, so, um, you know, this past couple weeks, basically since we learned about how awesome, allegedly, season two of Warzone is going to be, which right now I'd say Warzone and Smash are like my, my regular games I'll go to in the moments of like, eh, what, I'm not doing anything else. Um, season, Warzone 2 as a whole is kind of ass, but season two is supposed to fix a lot of things that they broke. Like, so Warzone 1 was great by the time it ended. Uh, the map sucked. The, the regular BR map sucked, but um, the mechanics of the game, the way it felt, a lot of the like, quality of life stuff was great. And then Warzone 2 comes out, and it's like, we're going we're gonna, to like, regress a year and a half. And it's like, why? I don't understand this. You had the game in a really... Like, changes you made to the first game because you recognized that, that there were like quality of life, issue, life issues. And then the second game comes out and it's like, we didn't learn any of the lessons from that. <laughs> it's a beautiful game and the map is way better and it's fun to play for me anyway. Um, but all the quality of life stuff is like, well, wait a minute. You, all of the fun and momentum that we could have been having because of how beautiful the map is and the new engine is kind of ruined by the fact that all of the quality of life stuff that you guys put in the first game to make the first game better that everybody loved, you didn't put in the second game. So allegedly some of that's coming in season two. And that's next week, February 15th. So I've been like kind of just in a coasting pattern gaming wise where I'm like, all right, well, in between now and then I'll just like, I don't know, I'll herp derp on Warzone 2, Warzone 2. And I saw a video for Hogwarts Legacy. I'm like, wow, this game is beautiful. And the combat system looks fun. So picked it up, started to play it. I'm like, yep, it is indeed fun. It's beautiful. It's got a story. And, and maybe, to be fair, it's possible I'm also more open to it because when it comes to like time I have to put into learning a niche story to understand the world, I actually already know all the Harry Potter lore for the most part, right? I've read all the books, seen all the movies. So the lore is actually familiar to me. And maybe that's like a credit to the game, but it's like I'm not actually having to learn anything new about this fantastical world because it's just the Harry Potter universe, right? Um, it's Harry Potter universe with this game mechanic and like with this set of objectives but I'm not having to understand what a fucking glib glob is, you know, <laughs> because I, you know, for the most part, I mean, the, the, to be fair, I, the, I don't know offhand the beasts in this game, but it's not such a leap because I'm already familiar with the story. And so I guess in some senses, it's like, it's, it'll take me less time to grok it. Um, and that's probably true for anybody that's familiar with the Harry Potter universe. So if you're familiar with the Harry Potter universe and you watch it, you watch gameplay, you'll be like, oh shit, that's familiar. Oh shit, that's familiar. Oh shit, that's familiar. And I think those little things are enough, like little hits of dopamine to get me past the like, absurdity of learning some random fiction world where i'm having to become an expert on like the zoology of this fiction world just to make it through the game uh when i'm just like you know the the, the zoology of the real world immortal jellyfish that we humans uh and and we have in our, our our living breathing planet full of water 
is far more fascinating to me than, you know, whatever fictional beast I'm having to become an expert on just so I can beat the next boss, you know? Um, so, uh, I am truly, truly grateful though for the journey I've had along the way. Um, you know, again, I think big shout out to my mom who I I would say that my mom is really the reason that my creative expression has exists at all. (laughs) Uh, um, I mean, you know, I, I think everybody starts with some creative expression in them and then what, how much they are able to explore it and whether or not they keep it is a dependent or depends on their context, their situation, the support they feel. I mentioned in my last episode that when it came to music, I never felt like I was, uh, I never felt my parents put up an obstacle to musical exploration and, and, and just learning the music and the same with gaming. Uh, you know, the, the fact that my mom was like, Hey, your Sega Genesis is dead. And, and I know this means a lot to you. Let's get you a fucking brand new PS2. Um, even though, like, again, we couldn't really, we weren't exactly rich, you know? It's not like it would be a stretch to do it. Um, and I don't know. I just, there's something beautiful about that. And so, you know, huge heaping of gratitude and, and thanks for my mom. Um, and then obviously for the people who make these games, um, I'm incredibly grateful to, um, you know, Sony for making the PlayStation, Sega for making the Sega Genesis, uh, and Sonic. Uh, I think I'm, I, you know, I'm personally very grateful to like, jk rowling for making the harry potter series and that universe because it's awesome and beautiful that book series is the third most sold book series in the world next to the bible and fuck what's the number two i don't remember what number two was hmm. well go look up most sold books in the world <laughs> and you'll see what their rankings are but um i love these stories and i think it takes a brilliant and creative mind to produce stories like this uh and so i have gratitude towards jk rowling for that um, I'm grateful to Sakurai and the, the Nintendo and Nintendo for Smash. I'm grateful to Harada and Bando Namkai for Tekken. Um, I'm grateful to Warner Brothers for Multiversus, which I played a little bit of, and now Harry Potter. Uh, there's Hogwarts Legacy. Um, I'm grateful for people who take it upon themselves to do creative expression, whether that's in science, right, like the, the Claude Shannons that I and of the world that I've mentioned multiple times, um, or whether it's the uh, J.K. Rowling's making a fictional world or, you know, Sakurai as the game director for Smash, creating uh, characters in the Smash universe based on their original games um, and ultimately to the parents out there who uh, stoke that creativity in their kids, who um, allow their, ki- create their kids to explore that, who support them as they create creative stories or as they play creative stories because I'm also very appreciative of gamers who make videos like the one I saw that inspired me to buy Hogwarts Legacy. Um, so, well, that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. Um, I appreciate the love and the support I've gotten so far. As always, if you want to give me any feedback, you can hit me up on Twitter at the laughing man, um, or on the podcast Twitter, which is at just here club. Uh, you can also go to the website, which is just here.club and you can either donate or put your email in and it'll add you to this mailing list where you'll get an email when the there a new episode drops um or you can just follow my socials in general if you just want to see what's going on um appreciate all the love and the feedback and i will catch you all in the next one